Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. All right. Not too bad of excitement for a, a, a 9.30 group, but I think it could get better. Yeah. I think we could, we could ramp, ramp it up just a little bit. We don't want to be confused with uh, Mosaic Baptist. Don't get mad at me. I'm just having some fun. All right. Stand to your feet. Hold your Bibles up, your iPhones, iPads. Get out of bed just for a minute there. Get up off your easy chair. Hold your Bible up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm not sure we were all in sync, but we gave it a great shot. (coughs) Well, we're actually kicking off a new series Uh, this month, moving from rows to circles. In other words, going from being, as Pastor Jesse would call it, from being an audience to becoming an army. Uh, You know, there's a a huge Christian audience in America and around the world. And by that, I mean that's not disparaging in any way. But there are a lot of people watching. And they're not just lost people. They're not just people searching there are a lot of Christians that there are a variety of ways that believers participate in getting the gospel uh, out from this building to our city and to the nations. Uh, there, there are, like I said, there are various ways, one of which is that we serve. Uh, one is that we give. Uh, another way is we, we tell our story or we testify or we give testimony to what God has done in our lives. But the reality is that many, if not most, Christians are not lukewarm or nominal in their faith because they want to be or they try to be. It's just they've not engaged in their place. I was in a service one time, uh, a a man who I esteemed highly and and still respect, haven't heard from him in a long time, but a man by the name of Mario Murillo preached a message, and it's one of those messages I'll never forget written in my Bible, and he said, people need to find their power spot, the position that they're most effective, the place where they can contribute to the entire team of Christians here and around the world, where we plug in to that place where we're best. One of the greatest NCAA basketball coaches of all time, John Wooden, uh, was one of the most unique coaches of all time. Because he, every year when they would get these high school recruits in, uh, they would all come in the locker room, he'd have a team meeting, and he said, now I'm going to teach you to play basketball. And the very first thing he would do is, is, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you how to tie your shoes. Now most of us will look and say, that's just ridiculous. But the reality is John Wooden knew that it that their shoes needed to be tight, they needed to be right, so when they're making moves, they can make them without slippage. And so he started, and all these guys, you know, they're blue chip, they're the top in the country, coming to UCLA. And, and 
after that, they'd go out on the court, and uh, he would begin to instruct them as to how they were going to play at UCLA. Not how they could play anywhere else, but this is how you're going to play at UCLA. And he would bring the players, each player out on the court, and he would say, this is your spot. I don't want you shooting from anywhere else, but here on this side of the court, this is where you're most effective. And basically, if you get outside of your power spot, the place of your greatest position, then I'm going to have to bench you because you're not contributing to the team. This is not an individual sport. Christianity is not an individual life. It's a collective corporate life of people that say, I want to make a difference in this world. And none of us can do this alone. Not one person in here has the the giftings and the skills and the anointing and the power to do this by ourselves. We need each other. We need to pull together and say, you know what? We're going to dream bigger than we've ever dreamed. We're going to pray bigger than we've ever prayed. We're going to live larger than we've ever lived so that the world cannot just hear Jesus. They can see him. Because people will not believe you as much when you talk to them as they will believe you when they see your life in the midst of hell, you're happy. In the midst of your greatest adversity and difficulty, you're smiling. And they're going, I want what you have. I don't want to just hear what you know. I want to have what you have. We have to live life and pray in such a way that people say, I want to follow your life. We're not asking them to be perfect. We're not perfect, but we must find our spot and our position. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, there's there's always this apprehension in our lives. Well, what if something doesn't happen? If I pray for somebody, they don't get healed or, or they don't get well. Healing is not your responsibility. Praying for healing is. It's not your responsibility to get people into heaven. It's your responsibility to tell them about heaven. And we don't do it because we say, what if it doesn't happen? Well, let me just tell you something. This building is going to be filled to capacity time and time and time and time and time and time again. I will not be in a church or lead a church that's half-hearted and too many people sitting around waiting on him to return. Instead of saying, Jesus, we expect you not just to return. We want you to be with us all the time. We have to live life that way. When the going gets tough, tough get going. And we're tough. I want Jesus to do something here that will ring bells in every nation on earth. You say, well, that, come on, really? Yeah, you take somebody like me going through what I've gone through. Most people throw you and say, well, you can do a little bit. I ain't going to do a little bit. I wasn't born for a little bit. I was born for a whole lot. And that never changes. If David can jack up with Bathsheba and have her husband killed, I think God can work through somebody in 2020 just as much as he did then. Yeah, thank you for all the five people that believe that to be true. Jacob, I want an applause meter up here. I want signs like they have on the late night shows. You, wonder, you think Jimmy Fallon's all that? No, they got applause signs. I've said in there. People don't know when to clap and when to applaud, so they, they put the signs up. Trying to help you out. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. 
We're going to get you in your power spot. Most people say, I want to be in my happy place. Let me tell you where your happy place is. Your happy place is where God has placed you. That's your happy place. Your happy place isn't where you think it might be. It's only found in the spot of God. I couldn't be happy in New Hampshire this morning. God didn't call me to New Hampshire. Thank you, Jesus. He called me to the gusty Holy Spirit city where the wind of God comes sweeping down the plains. This is not a day for a toupee. If somebody got a rug on, leave it home. It, it might be flipping up. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. This is out of the Message Bible. What do you want, Jesus asked. She said, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom. One at your right hand, one at your left hand. Now listen, that's a big prayer. That mama came up in Jesus' business and said, I'm making reservations and I want priority. And she said, I want my sons to be in first class. Big prayers. These are not get-by prayers. Jesus, you think you could help me out a little prayers? These are big prayers. These people, to this woman... Her sons were everything. And Jesus responded, you have no idea what you're asking. I love how Jesus in the Message Bible, I, I love how he acts. Jesus gets a little, little frisky in the, in the Message Bible, a little tuned up. And he said to James and John, and they were also known as the sons of thunder because they were out there, are you capable of drinking the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, I love this because I'm thinking of myself. Jesus asked me this question. I'm probably pausing a minute thinking there's a question behind this question. And I need to know what that question is before I answer this question. Like, because I know Jesus is going to come back with something after I answer it. These brothers were not bashful. And they said in the message Bible, sure, why not? Are you kidding me? I'm thinking, I'm talking to Jesus, and he's getting ready to drink from a cup I don't want to drink up. Jesus said, come to think of it, you're going to drink my cup. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. My father's taking care of that. Now, we do know that Jesus has regular conversations with daddy. And I'm sure he said, you know, Father, this mother came up to me today, and she wants James and John to, to sit next to us. What do you think? Because the Bible says he's seated at the right interceding. The challenge in our lives is if we don't pray big prayers, we will not live big lives. We will not see big miracles. We will not experience a big God. We will not see the things we want to see. It is absolutely imperative, important, a must that we find our place of service to the kingdom of God. How are, we going to, how are we going to help reach the nations of the earth? What are we doing? Like I said, some of you tell your story, some of you serve, some of you give. It is just very, very important that we do everything that God has called us to do. Not everything I want you to do, because I want everybody in here doing more. 
I'm just, this, this message is going to irritate the out of you. You can fill in that blank, the snot, whatever you want to do. But the reality is, folks, if we're going to make a difference in our city, we have to be different in our city. That means that we're not people that just get up and ask the question, are we going to church? That is not the question to ask. Church must be a priority. It cannot be an option. It can't be something that we consider. It can't just be on the list of things to do on Sunday. It needs to be Sunday. Don't get mad at me. Because I'm, I'm going to get better as I go at making you even more angry. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus went around just really kind of provoking people. And the Bible tells us to provoke one another, encourage one another, provoke one another. We're better when somebody pushes us beyond what we think our limits are and give you the exact same roster, and one of them will turn them into a winner, and one of them won't. (coughs) Most people say, well, you know, if I had his players... I've watched coaches come in, take the same players, and turn them into winners. Why? Because he held them accountable to do the best they could and be the best they could. He pushed or diminishes and go, thank you, coach, for making us something that we didn't know we could be. The challenge in our country is we're wanting to listen to messages that tickle our ears instead of challenge our hearts. Oh, that was good. Let's see you live it. Let's see you do it. Let's get it done. Let's not go, that was so good. I hear people quoting and quoting and quoting. I'm like, Stop the quoting and start the living. It's not about eloquence. We're in a fight. I grew up in a, in a neighborhood and said, well, you know, it's not a fair fight. What is a fair fight? I don't want to lose, and whatever that stinking takes, I'm going to win. Well, you know, you hit me when I wasn't looking. It was my best chance at beating you. I was really small in high school. I mean, literally, I did not have a growth spurt to about my sophomore year. And, and a, a guy came up to me in the lockers, in the locker area of our school, and I was probably, if I was lucky to be maybe 5'7 and maybe a buck 35. He was six feet and 190. And he came up and instructed me that I could no longer hang out with my best friend because he was dating my best friend's sister. And that I could no longer go to his house because he was jealous of me being there. And I'm thinking, I don't give in a flip about your girlfriend. But he said, I can't go. I said, I can. I'm going. And I thought, he'll kill me if I don't hit him first. I hit him so hard, I knocked him down. And then I had to get on top of him and choke him out because I thought if he gets me, he's going to kill me. I know it wasn't fair. He didn't expect me to hit him. And you might be thinking our pastor hit somebody. Well, you grew up in my neighborhood. If you didn't hit somebody, you're going to get beat up. I surprised him. He never picked on me again. Some of y'all need to do a, you a neighborhood kid instead of a child of the one that owns it all. You need to start talking like you got it all. Some of y'all scared to address the devil, say, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm stepping on your head. The only thing you're going to see of me is you're going to have uh, uh, my, the name of my shoe on your forehead because I'm stepping on your head. 
I've had people say, I don't want to talk to the devil that way. Don't be afraid of him. He's a toothless lion. He's trying to get you in your spot today. When the others heard about this, they lost their tempers, thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. People will get disgusted when you start getting God, you get God's attention, you start praying big prayers. Little Christians will get mad at you for praying big prayers. Well, I'm believing God for a total miracle. Well, you know, he doesn't do that anymore. You can go back to your little religious self if you want to. I'm praying big prayers. Devil comes, steal, kill, and destroy. Devil owes me a lot. He's got a lot. I don't, matter of fact, I don't even know if hell has enough resources to pay me back for what I'm believing for. He's going to have to go to somewhere else and get some stuff because I'm believing big. No, I, I pray all the time. God, whatever's been taken from me, give it back to me. Whatever you gave away, keep it. But everything's been taken from me, though a thief's caught stealing, he has to pay back seven times. Some of y'all just decided to let it go. I ain't letting nothing go. Everything that's mine, I'm getting back. Say, how do you know? Because I know God. I know my daddy. I know my father. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You keep going to daddy long enough, he'll come back. He'll take you. Fight. There was a little kid in the backyard, lived in a neighborhood, privacy fences. And, man, he just loved playing kickball. I finally got it over that eight-foot fence. He ran back out of his yard over in the next yard, only to find two big bullies over there holding his ball. He said, give me my ball back, please. They said, no. He ran back to his house, went into the house, and said, Dad, these boys have my ball. I accidentally kicked it over the fence. They won't give it back to me. He said, well, go tell them I told you to. He went back over, ran over there, thinking I got it. He said, my daddy said, give me my ball back, and they laughed. He went back to his daddy he said, Daddy, they still won't give it back to me. This happened about two or three times. Finally, the last time, Daddy got up. Took his hand, walked his boy over there. And the little boy didn't ask again. He said, give me my ball back. Because now, Daddy's standing next to me. I speak with authority. Some of y'all need to walk arm in arm with God and quit begging and start demanding, devil, you owe me my health, you owe me my life, you owe me a job, give it back. Pray big prayers. Walk with authority because authority is resident in you. So Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around and how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. You must become your great, must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for the many who held are held, held high. Every football team has a practice squad. You'll never know, and I will never know the name of some of the quarterbacks on the practice squad that are part of it. The defense, and they're even better because around them better 
though they will never be known. The goal in life is not to become known. The goal in life is to make him known. Everyone that's seated in a row will be more effective in a circle. Right now, you're facing this direction and you're hearing information. But when you get in a circle and you start talking to one another face to face and you begin to encourage one another and you begin to tell your story and you begin to make a difference in other people's lives, it will affect you drastically. The facts about service are sevenfold. I'm going to give these to you quickly. Number one, it creates more happiness for you. According to a professor at Stony Brook University in New York who authored the book Hidden Gifts of Helping, a part of our brain lights up when we help others. That part of our brain that doles out feel-good chemicals like dopamine and possibly uh, serotonin. A common reaction is that some people feel more tranquil, peaceful, serene, others warmer and more trusting. When we volunteer, we often give ourselves deeper purpose and meaning that nearly always leads to greater happiness. Think about the first time or a moment in your life where you stopped to help somebody change a flat. You helped an elderly person across the street or to their car. You had a moment where you decided that in a restaurant you looked at someone and you felt passion and compassion for them and, and you decided to buy their meal without telling anybody. You remember that feeling? As a matter of fact, when that feeling comes, here's what happens. The devil says, huh, you just did that so you could feel good. No, I did that so they could feel good, but when they feel good, I feel good. The devil will always attack your, pur attack your purpose and your reason for doing something and make you feel like a hypocrite. Let me tell you, God will never look at you like a hypocrite, no matter what your motivation is, he because that's what life is all about. Number two, it will reduce stress. When people help others, when we help others, our bodies release a hormone called oxytocin, which buffers stress and helps us maintain social trust and tranquility. How powerful is it that you and I step into a place of helping others? I've thought for years what it would be like to not preach. And every time I think about it, it scares me to death. This is all I've ever done. It's all I've ever known because I love helping people. I love giving information that might, might put someone on course to, to find greater success or greater peace or greater joy, whatever it might be. That's how come I don't preach mean. I don't know how mean preachers preach and go home Monday through Friday and sleep. If you didn't go home feeling like you were challenged and you could do better and there's more in you than what you thought and your capacity is greater than you ever imagined, then why in the world would you go to a church just to get beat up? Yeah, I want you to be a little ticked off at me. I want you to think about what I'm saying. I want you to be motivated to go, can I do this? Yes, I can. Yeah. Yeah. This church will not become the church God wants it to be without each and every one of you finding your spot. There's not a preacher in, in the world that can build a church. People build a church. We're just the mouth the church that's all we are and most of us just big mouths <laughs> yeah. 
Henry Ward Beecher said, if you want your neighbor to see what Christ will do, let him see what Christ has done for you. There were people that knew me from where I grew up. Matter of fact, one of the individuals was a girl that lived on my same street. She was two years younger than me, but in our neighborhood, we knew everybody five years older, five years younger. It was a small school. I was quite the hell raiser out of high school. And uh, so when I got saved, there were people who didn't believe it for a long time. And when I moved here, she actually came by the little church that we had and had one employee and secretary and said, I got to ask you a question because she was so curious. She had heard I'd done commercials and we had been trying to promote that we were here around town. And she said, is this the Mark Crow from Berry Hill? <laughs> kind of like, and they end up coming to the church. And they were never a charismatic church. They were a very, uh, he grew up Catholic, her husband did, and she grew up. Uh, disciples of Christ, but they end up coming. Now, I don't think it was because of the things I said, but they knew that Christ had done a work in my life. And when Christ has done a work in your life, you don't need a denominational name or title behind you. You have Jesus himself. When people are serving, life is no longer meaningless. Susan and I talk all the time. I said, I, I can't imagine getting up every day without the thought of impacting somebody's life today. What can I do to impact someone's life? To give them hope, to bring peace, to bring joy, to bring Jesus The way we do that nowadays is so radically different than before. With the ability now for anybody to hear a great sermon online in a second, it's changed everything. There was a day when there were no cell phones, no YouTube, no Instagram, no Facebook. People that used to give out... And, and, you know, it, you, you were at least introducing people to a concept, an idea uh, concerning eternity. And most of the time, we were trying to scare the hell out of them. We really weren't trying to put the heaven into them. We are just trying to scare the hell out of them. And then once we scared the hell out of them, maybe we'd get heaven in them. I don't know. But I remember doing all the witnessing. And nowadays, people are so smart. Even people that, that don't go to church or have no church background, I promise you, they have shown an interest in church by going online and watching. And then what they're watching and what they're listening to becomes the framework for what they believe. And the challenge with that is now is they hear so many different stories from so many different preachers that it becomes very confusing. So now they're watching our lives before they listen to our story. That's how come it's so important that our response to crises, adversity, hopelessness in a nation, the coronavirus... And, and please don't misunderstand, but more people have died of the common flu than the coronavirus. But because of our media and political, they're politicizing this thing. Yeah, it's, it's bad. 
But it's not any different than the common flu. At the end of the day, you can read all the stories. And so the idea is fear sells news. We got to shift it and say, you know what? No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me will be refuted. That, that I, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the temple of coronavirus. And you know, besides that, if I die, y'all get to deal with all. We get all worried about dying, and I'm thinking, there are days I think, God, it'd just be so much easier to have to mess with all this stuff. Now, I'm not, I'm not suicidal. That's not that. But every now and then, I just think, wow, we're all afraid of death. And Jesse Jeanette's up there shouting down right now. I promise you, she's got her own section in heaven. She just transitioned, and she went, I don't need this no more. That's what she told Jesse. I'm done. I'm done. She just, and, and I admire that. Just somebody just finally goes, you know, what am I fighting for? To stay in this tent that is, is battling and struggling when I can go be with Jesus. We can't lose is what I'm saying. We cannot lose. As believers, we got W-win all over us. I'm going to close with a poem I wrote. In my, one of my darkest hours, I, I began to enjoy this. And some of you will think it's kind of strange. But I began using these kinds of things to feed my soul. Tomorrow was on its way, but today is still today. It's all that we know for sure as we fight to resist tomorrow's allure. I can say that today was a good day. I have nothing negative that I must say. But was it the best day that I will ever see? If today becomes tomorrow... There might be better for me. But I must believe that my best is still in the present. Maybe the best thing in life is to always find something pleasant. The former may not compare with the latter. But if we don't live today to the full, what will it matter? Make every day count. Make it the best. Why even compare it to all the rest? Life is to be lived one day at a time. To miss out on the best of today is surely a crime. So goodbye to yesterday's victories and their sorrows. I choose today's best without wishing on tomorrow's. Today I will enjoy the moments of rest without strife, trusting that today might just be the best day of my life. Fullness today. I want to be where God wants me planted, where God can do something. Ask Jacob to put a little grass. That's where I want you. I asked Jacob to put a little graph up. You know, you guys look at Sundays and you look and you go, I wonder what it took to make today happen. Because sometimes I remember when I first got into ministry, I was in the Methodist church and they swore up and down that preachers only work one day a week. Well, if that's the case, this is the easiest day because the rest of them are hard. Preparing music and staff and buildings and <clears throat> people you know, crazy people coming around the buildings and we got cameras out here and in the middle of the night I'll get a, a camera will go off and somebody will be outside the building and we've caught people doing stuff you don't even want me to talk about on camera. Getting things ready. And I want to highlight just today, just for a moment, and I, this is not a setup, this, I'm just being straightforward with you. Each one of you have a place and a position to do something in this house, and I want to challenge you to do it. It's not really that difficult. 
to be here 15 minutes early, stand out on the street out there and hold a sign that says, you know, you're welcome here or something. Be a greeter at the front door. It's embarrassing when you go to a church and nobody even shakes your hand. I like it. I, I stand out in the lobby every now and then before the 930 and, you know, if I'm not praying with the band or whatever. And I count how many times people are touched from the moment they get out of their car to they get in here. And the minimum is you got the flu or coronavirus on your paws. Let's just test it. Just go up and hug somebody and just shake their hand and go, just bring it on. My body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. There ain't no virus getting on this sucker. I'm just, I'm just so afraid. Stop. Next one of you sneeze in the lobby. I'm going to run over. I mean, you get flu shots. They're putting the flu in your body. Come on. They're putting that stinking stuff in there, and you're going to take the shot. Just take the sneeze. Go with it. Some of you, it's okay just if you want to be touched, just fist bump. You know what I'm saying? There's less corona on the knuckles. There is true fact that the corona beer sales have gone down 33% because some people think it's connected to the virus. That's not a fact you're going to get every day because you won't read it. True story. Yeah, some of you heard that. Somebody, it didn't stop me. I'm getting two for one. Anyway, so. Okay. Wait until see what the 11 people get. Jacob, put the graph on the screen. These are some things I need right now. It's what our church needs. Can you do it? It's right. Oh, you, wow. You did it right back there, didn't you? Okay, looky here. Serve in our children's ministry. Infants, I need one person at 9.30. I need two people at 11. In the twos and threes, I need one person at 9.30, one at 11. In the fours and fives, one person at 11. Now, one, two, three, four, six, right? Soak it in. Well, I can't do that. I got my kid all week. No, you don't. You got them for like 30 years. What, are you going to wait till they're 30 to start serving? Folks, let me say this to you. Let's get real. You're telling me that this would be my thing. When I got to heaven and I looked and Jesus said, you know, I wanted you to serve in children's ministry, but you told me it was going to take an hour and 15 minutes of your week. Do you think that's going to fly in the face of a guy who hung on the cross? Don't think so. It's amazing. I mean, if I can't get you by the invitation, I'll get you by condemnation. I'm just kidding. I'm not. Listen, if we're going to reach this city... And we're going to make a difference. We cannot do it with comfortable. You know, typically all we've ever asked is, would you serve once a month? That's really all we ever ask. But then you say, but, well, but, but I want to come to church. Okay, serve one, worship one. Work one, worship one. That's why we have two services. Don't get mad at me. I'm just going to ask you to go home and ask Jesus if what I'm saying is real. He'll tell you it is. I promise you ahead of time. You don't even have to wait long. 
Listen, every one of you can do something. Quit comparing yourself with everybody else and, and thinking you're going to fail. I used to always tell my youth leaders, and I had a youth group of 1,000 and nearly 100 volunteers, and I would, first thing when I did new youth leader meetings every month, I would say, the first thing I want you to do is go fail. <laughs> you think, what a leadership tip. Once you fail and realize failure is not fatal, then it won't scare you anymore. Because you're all going to make mistakes. I make them every week while I'm preaching. I've probably made at least five during the time I'm preaching to you today. And I'm sure I'll get note of that. There are always some really wonderful people that let me know how I screwed up. Thank you. It's such a wonderful position to hold when you don't have to solicit correction or criticism. It just comes. But I've learned that my job is not to correct those things. My job is to love and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring challenge and hope to hearts of everyone who's listening. I'm not an ear tickler. You know why? Because I know every one of us has greater capacity than we're currently operating in. But it will take sacrifice. It will take confidence. It will take doing something you're not comfortable doing. That's how this works. Sometimes you think it looks easy in years and their gift and their talent. And I have yet to talk to one singer unless, well, maybe a few that are really arrogant. But most will stay, I get, I get fearful or concerned every time I stand up here to sing. And you'd never know it, but they fight through it. it they make it look easy. Every time I stand up here and preach, say, well, it looks easy. But every Sunday, my wife will tell you, I'm up really early asking Jesus, please cover me. Please don't let me stand up here alone. That's what all we have to do. There are people working with your children right now that need your help, and I'm asking you to get involved. Now, find that spot. Do something that will change the lives of little ones forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and the goodness that you show us every day. You're faithful when you call us. You're faithful to empower us. And Lord, we thank you for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me and those of you watching online. A prayer of repentance to become a follower of Christ. And it's going to make a difference in your life immediately. You're going to feel the presence of God. You're going to feel forgiveness. You're going to feel grace. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin and I confess with my mouth, you are now the Lord. Commit your life. I want you to text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. 405-500-1310. Just text the word SAVED and we get that and we rejoice with you. Please do that right now. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.